Coming to you from our opulent and luxurious 4x8 refurbished broom closet at the National Headquarters in Indianapolis. With duct tape, studio lights, and a mic that you barely can hear, we hope to entertain and educate you. This is the Tango Alpha Lima Podcast. They call me crazy because I'm facing all my giants. They try to scare me into thinking I can't fight it. They tell me I should never even think of trying. But that's just me. I'm going to live out in defiance. All right, hello, 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 and welcome back to the Tango Alpha Lima podcast. The earth still abides, and so we soldier on. I hope you're ready for the most interesting and entertaining hour of your week, unless you happen to be sitting on the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case. Uh, Let's start with the good news, because this could be a pretty dark show. But I did read right before we came on that that Estonian guy that's been stuck in the airport for 100 days has finally been repatriated from the Philippine airport. And uh, not knowing all that much about Estonia, I did Google it, and Estonia has the second smallest female-to-male ratio in the world. For every 100 women, there are 84 men. So, like, I can understand why he'd want to go home there. And uh, also, interesting fact, Estonians won the International Wife-Carrying Championship for 11 straight years. I mean, bravo to the Estonian wife-carrying team. I mean, great job. Uh, also, this uh, Jeff and I had talked about this, but I, I learned this week that uh, wombats poop in cubic form, which, frankly, I think is the most fascinating thing of all time, but I guess your mileage may vary. Uh, before we get on to those important topics, though, I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts. We got California Dreaming Jeff Daly and our Buckeye friend Ashley Gorbulja Maldonado, currently in our nation's capital. Jeff, let's start with you. How long could you exist in an airport eating like Wetzel's pretzels and Starbucks food? And if you got to choose an airport, which one would would it be? Oh, I've been in so many airports, and they they all trigger me. Uh, I could I could survive in an airport uh, probably a week. Mm-hmm. After that, after that, I'm going crazy. Yeah. I mean, well, maybe if I had the maybe if I had one of those fancy club memberships, I could you know relax. Yeah. This guy didn't have that. He was taking like handouts from people and sleeping on chairs. What's what airport? Which airport? If you get to select, I mean, some of them look like malls now. I think Denver is kind of like a mall. And, yeah, uh, too many people though. That, I think the Palm well, Springs Airport is super nice. Isn't that the one that's like outside for part of it? Um, I don't know that I've been to Palm Springs Airport. Oh, it's not either. That's the one that I like. My buddy always brags about the uh, Cape Town, South Africa Airport, which is apparently one of the most beautiful. I haven't been to that one. Ashley, how long could you live in an airport? Do I have unlimited food? Yeah, I mean, you know, well, until your money runs out, I guess. Mm. I'm a good storyteller. I could probably get some food from people. Yeah. Um, that changes things. Let's see. Uh, I could see, I could probably do it for like a month. I feel like it'd be some like reality TV show challenge or something. So like Survivor, it's like, who can, you know, Survivor Airport Edition. Have you watched that Netflix show where you like everyone, you're alone for a hundred days and you get $10,000 or some nonsense thing? I do. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like, it doesn't seem like that big a deal to me, but I I don't know. What do I know? I've been doing Right. I need a little introverted isolation. Social distancing has been 
my thing for long before it was cool. Yeah. I would do that to the world. The world needs a good dosage mm. update. That's all I'm yeah. Mm. yeah, I I'll second that. You can <laughs> you can take my dose as well. So uh before we get started, you can watch our podcast on the American Legion's YouTube channel, or you can download and listen from iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, wherever you do get the show, though, please help us out by rating our show and giving us a review to let us know what you think. You can also send us an email at tangoalphalima at legion.org. All right, guys, let's get started here. Topic one is my least favorite story of all time, I think. It's the Russian Bounty Gate story. And for those who are not aware of the story, uh, basically, U.S. intelligence officials said that Russian operatives secretly offered cash payments to Taliban-linked militants to kill coalition troops, including Americans in Afghanistan, according to reports which started with the New York Times. According to those reports, a unit of Russia's military intelligence agency, the GRU, known for orchestrating assassinations and destabilization efforts against Western democracies, was behind the bounties on U.S. troops. Uh, and I said I hate this story largely because it's entirely predicated on two things. One is the story's all anonymous sourcing, and the underlying info comes from captured Taliban guys, who I don't know that you can trust. Say, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just not comfortable with the entire story, and it seems to have turned into a big political mess because of the standard, what did the president know, and when did he know it? I, I don't know. Today, the uh, top U.S. general for the Middle East, uh, General Frank McKenzie, uh, U.S. Central Command, said that intelligence suggesting that Russia may have paid Taliban militants to kill troops was worrisome, but he is not convinced that any bounties resulted in U.S. military deaths. Jeff, what do you think about this story? I think that, once again, you have read what I wanted to read. Uh, so the, the bounty issue... Right now, it has become entirely too political, and I use the I use the data pool of my Facebook feed. Those in my Facebook feed who tend to vote right call it hogwash and a lie. People who um, tend to vote left just want uh, to castrate the president and throw him in jail. So it has become completely yeah. politicized. And and some of uh, I was I can skip my first quote from General Kenneth McKenzie, and I tend to believe Marines, especially out in the field. And he said, he did say that he found it worrisome, but he said, I just didn't find that there was a causative link there. And he went on to say, the, the Intel case wasn't proved to me. It wasn't proved enough that I'd take it to a court of law. And you know, that's often true in battlefield intelligence. I think People don't really get that this wasn't a big CIA investigation that came up with this and it was just ironclad proof. This was battlefield intelligence, like you said, from captured Taliban, where they did a raid and found a stash of American cash, actually, mm -hmm. in, in their bunker. And these guys then said, oh, the Russians paid us to, to kill Americans. Mm -hmm. And it's it's the old adage if you can't beat the russians or the americans this isn't the old adage this is my application of an old adage if you can't beat the russians or the americans how do you win the war you don't you make them fight each other right. and then we get to do whatever we want to do because they're too busy worried about each other so i think there's some i think there's some uh counterintelligence happening from the taliban and um 
we're playing right into it live on my Facebook feed, actually. Ashley, what do you think about this one? First of all, I hate that you all make me go last because I sound the most unintelligent when it comes to these things. Uh, but, you know, I, I read a, a few of the military. There's Military Times. I know there's been others that have been reporting on it um, just based on my own observation. And I, I do agree with you, Mark. I just... When you have, like, Taliban trying to, like, be in a cited source and you've got all this information, I... It's just people just take stories and they run with it, especially when it comes to the political sphere. I mean, I'm looking at, you know, one article and, you know, you've got uh, Senator uh, Duckworth, uh, you know, commenting, you know, she's Demo like Democrat. Right. She says, I'm, it's deeply personal. It's nauseating and it's obscene, said um, the Trump's muted response to the Russian bounties, which she casts as evidence that the commander in chief doesn't value the well-being of American troops. I think the only thing the president cares about is his own re-election re and his own well-being, right? So when you think about, like, the polarity of different responses that you're going to see, like, I think that's very true to what the, the Democratic response would be um, versus, of course, like, the Republican responses. But, I mean, I just think it's, I think it's interesting that, you know, being in this, like, just the election atmosphere with the current climate of the world right now, it's just, uh, this is tough. Yeah, I'm not turning the TV on to the news for at least until December. Like, I, well, CB, you, you, you're suspect of people a lot now. If so, Russia is not our friend, and no. the, the Taliban is not no. our friend. No, Russia has been proven to be involved in misinformation to kind of get what they want to to fire shots without yeah. without firing yeah. shots. Now, is it perfectly plausible that the Russians have coached the Taliban what to like what things you can do to destabilize uh, the American opposition if you were to be captured and the kinds of things that you could say that would destabilize us domestically? Is it possible? Yeah. Of course it is. And and we're falling right into it. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I, I, I agree. Like, all right. So let's say it is true. Like, what is it exactly we're going to do about it? We did the same thing to Russia in Afghanistan in the 80s. Like, we were essentially offering bounties for every helicopter that came down. All right, so they're doing it to us. Like, I get it. Like, I, I don't know exactly what people want the president to do. They want him to... I, I don't even understand. I don't understand. It seems thinly sourced to me, and I'm not sure what we're supposed to... But the fact that we're blowing it up to this is the most important issue that's ever... It's like, all right, we're we're leaving that country. We're getting out. Like, is there someone left who doesn't realize that Russians are bad actors in this? I, I'm not convinced of it. But, you know, I, if there's one person out there who still thinks that Mother Russia is, is good for us, then more power to them. All right, topic two. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, we go to you. What do you got for us? Oh, one of my favorite topics in... Uh, it's, it involves PETA, and I, I'm sorry to everyone out there that I, I forgot my plate of bacon, because whenever I hear the word PETA, I just start salivating for bacon for some yeah. reason. Uh, right now, they are going toe-to-toe -to -toe 
with the United States Air Force, who is fresh off of a battle with the United States Space Force. So who knows? Maybe they're stumbling. Maybe they're vulnerable right now. But what uh, leading animal advocacy organization PETA is demanding, demanding that the U.S. Air Force Academy free its newly acquired Falcon and let it live out its days flying above the clouds instead of making controlled appearances at sporting events. And for my audition to do voiceover for PETA, I'm gonna read another quote from them. And I want you to imagine the, the sad music that would be playing on TV. Some Sarah McLaughlin it's, in the background. Right. <laughs> it's ironic to say the least that the Air Force Academy would keep majestic birds in confinement while training its cadets to fly. So there you go. So it's uh, it's all about this. It's all about this falcon that, that that they use and they keep and they cherish. They cherish this thing. And I worry because you know they come for your falcon, and I you know, and the next thing you know they're going to come for Chesty fifteen over the United States Marine Corps, right. and that's not a battle that they want. So for Peta's sake. I hope this just kind of goes away. And the Air Force's response to all of this is, you know, they responded with, well, we're going to move on with naming it. What do you want to name it? And I think, uh, Mark, you claim oh, to have I'm, some intel. I'm, you claim to have some intel on the, the leading name. I'm all in on Birdie McBirdface. I think it's perfect. It, I, I, I mean, Birdie McBirdface has got it going on. I can't think of a better one, but, you know. Ashley? I can think of better names, but um, I I thought this was really interesting um, because so it's a, a so it's a is it pronounced it's G Y R Falcon it's like Grif Falcon how do you say Geyer it Falcon Geyer Falcon okay so. so that's how I've always internally pronounced it I don't know if it's okay I, you know it's not yeah. my strength but if anyone for for our listeners out there definitely take a look at the picture of this bird it is incredibly majestic they're actually native to arctic regions um so they have like this uh, dark gray and like stunning white color so the previous mascot was 23 years old and named aurora okay so that's how long they had the previous mascot so it's um you know it's a, it's a new female falcon we'll go falcon for short right but i don't know i think there are some cool Arctic or, I don't know, I think there's some cool Arctic names. I don't think we have to name a Birdie McBird face. I, I did hear somebody saying they should name it Borealis since the Borea. one was Aurora. So yeah, you'd have Aurora go, and then Borealis. That it's pretty disrespectful to go from Aurora to Birdie McBird face. <laughs> yes. Right. I, I mean, I think the majestic name Birdie McBird face works for the Air Force Academy. And you're right. I mean, they've been forced into a corner. First, they were getting slapped around by Space Force, and now they got to deal with Ingrid Newkirk and the uh, <laughs> upset heritons of uh, PETA, you know? Now, That's hilarious. I do want to say before people out there think that I'm totally heartless. I, if, if, it is, if it is proven to me that this bird is miserable uh, by a source other than PETA, who I just I just think that they look for ways to get in the news, and this seems like a way something that's happening. Uh, if somebody, if another organization jumps in, investigates, and says this bird is being horribly treated, I will then advocate 
that it be set free. I but, hope our I hope our email inbox gets slammed by people who have mind melded with falcons or you know <laughs> used like a Ouija board to communicate with the animal. And he's like, oh yeah, Bertie McBurface says he's totally pissed about this. Like he just wants to go back to the Arctic. Look, I, I hate just want to say I am an am an animal lover. Um, I know that there were claims out there that um, the bird had sustained or the previous mascot Aurora had sustained injuries during a prank and you know just they were putting her in like a dog crate and a lot of people don't know that this specific um like species of falcon uh went, like the female birds are actually stronger and they exhibit larger wingspans and size so having like the proper like enclosures like there's just there's there's got to be some fine balance like yes I would love for that bird to be just free and doing its thing but there's got to be some, there's got to be some even ground, like great example. Um, we just brought on a new gal at my workplace and she went to Baylor university and they have a bear mascot. Like for a long time, they actually had a bear. And I think it was like the early two thousands, like up to like 2010 or something like that. They finally like stopped taking the bear to the games. Like they used to give it, they, this is exactly what she told me literally yesterday is they used to give it, um, like a coconut and they would paint the uh, the opposite team's colors and the bear would just rip the coconut apart <laughs> and i was like what is this like i i i couldn't even believe that that was a thing like i can't imagine like a full bear just like What's being it? contained on the sidelines and then like you want to compare it to a bird like yeah it's smaller but they're still animals and we're i don't know I won't That's YouTube it right now, but it wasn't. Didn't the Colorado Buffalo escape and truck a whole bunch of people on the field at one Ooh, point? Interesting. I, yeah, they run on, and there's a couple. Doesn't I, I think Texas runs on with a Longhorn sometimes? I don't know. I mean, there's gotta got to be it. a fine line. Baylor is in Texas, so yeah, everything's bigger in Texas. And I mean, the most egregious offense really is the Buckeye. Uh, that, that that thing you has to be seen on TV is just offensive. It's, it, offensive. it's the second worst mascot First to the all, Syracuse a Orange. A Buckeye which... is a nut, and you're comparing a, a nut <laughs> to a Wolverine. I, whatever. And it's, and it's poisonous. And it's poisonous. Oh, man. Okay. Yep. Whatever you say. I'm going to... For all my Ohio listeners know that I love all of you. And do not listen to this man. And Ohio State. If I don't get even. One of my favorite sports moments ever was uh, the St. Joseph's Hawks. They have a mascot and it's a dude in a hawk costume. And during basketball games, he has to flap his arms during the entire game. And apparently this person's on a scholarship. And so they are held to the standard that they have to flap the entire time. And I was at a game where St. Joe's and UMass went into triple overtime. And the Hawk at this point was basically just doing shoulder rolls because he couldn't lift his arms anymore. <laughs> and all the UMass fans were just yelling at him, flap, bird, flap. And the poor person couldn't even lift their arms. One of my favorite sports moments of all time was watching the poor Syracuse or the uh, St. Joseph's Hawk trying to flap. It's just great. Where was where was Peto when that happened? Huh? That's what I'm saying. Who's looking out for that guy? It, yeah, there's got to be a injury in his future. There's got to be a special interest out there representing mascots the world around. Like, you know, like I'm the sure Stanford the Stanford tree guy is probably now like a high muckety muck in the in the mascot union or something. 
Wasn't there a mascot TV show where like people could compete to be like the next mascot for I don't know if it was like Division One schools or if it was like semi pro or it was something along those lines, but they used to have to do ridiculous challenges. That would be um shout out to Holly producer. Please put that like in like a little I, bubble see, up above. The thing me. Is, I think I would like, actually watch it. Cow, cow. I would love to I would love to like watch a Spartan race with somebody in their mascot yeah. costume. Like That'd be amazing. I know that when I did the marathon last year, I did the last mile with a Easter bunny hat on my head. And I mean, it covered. Oh yeah. It's I'll show that. Put it on my Facebook after this. Bring it in next time. I want you to put it on your board. I rented it. I rented, I rented the costume in Massachusetts the day before the race. And, but it was so hot in that thing. I thought I was going to just die. I can't imagine what it's like to run around a mascot all the time. You say that about everything. Yeah. yeah, room is so hot. Room room is too hot. People, people, I, you know what I'm gonna do next time? Actually, you when, know, you it's, me, it's, when you called me from the road, the first complaint was how hot it was. I'm, I don't like the heat. I don't like. I don't like. I, that's why I, I kind of feel for the Falcon. If he wants to go back to the Arctic, so do I. Like I love it cold. It's much better when it's cold. You can always put more clothes on, but once you reach, you know, negative clothes, you can't go any further down. So, unless you live in a wind tunnel. All right. Okay. Let's let's move on to topic number three. After that image. Yes. Um, uh, Ashley, we will go to you for number three. Go. All right. So, uh, for those in the world who have not heard of uh, specialist Vanessa Gillen, um, they did. They did. Um, this is hard. So, they did figure out, or they did identify that the remains were hers um, over on the um, Leon River in Bell County, uh, out in the Fort Hood uh, area. So she, for the uh, listeners who are unaware, um, she was the young lady, 20 years old soldier, who pretty much has drawn national media attention and uh, scrutiny from from Congress and the handling and pretty much of the search and investigation. She was, uh, you know, brutally murdered based on the affidavit uh, and the other a young lady who's in custody uh, right now in regards to helping dismember her body. Um, the young man that um, was uh, accused and vice versa, they were kind of on his tail and he did take his own life. So it's been a very interesting uh, story and development. A lot of this started with the family, you know, in cries of outburst rationally and, you know, justfully so, could not find their daughters. She had been missing since April. There had been a lot of suspicions. There had been accusations of uh, sexual harassment that were reported to the family. So the, you know, the motive for the family was a little bit different. So Mm -hmm. the outpour was both of them were related to this point, uh, CID and uh, Fort Hood investigation, et cetera. They have determined that both instances were, were separate um, because they have been conducting investigations and, you know, all these interviews with anyone who has come in contact with this young lady. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a really tough story and it's inspired a movement and what I think, um, well, let's be real. So they call it the invisible war. There's a documentary on this as well. Um, but it's about uh, sexual assault, uh, sexual violence, if you will, rape, uh, in the military 
And it's referred to as this invisible war due to, you know, a lot of just toxic culture. So the I am Vanessa Gillen or Gillen, excuse me, uh, hashtag has been trending. And there has been a slew of both men and women who have been sharing their stories of, you know, of, of harassment, um, assault, any of the any of the following. Right. Any box checked. But it's been very moving. And somebody who, unfortunately, is also a statistic of military sexual trauma, it's been really inspiring to watch others find their voice. I know, you know, it took me a while to come to terms with my story and acceptance, but to watch this on a national level, you know, again, like both incidences have been, have been, you know, deemed separate, but this in itself is gathering and, um, there's just there's been a lot of national attention to it, and I'm happy that we're talking about it because I think you know it's uncomfortable and we have to talk about it. And I'm hoping that there is going to be justice for this young woman. Like they, there's a lot of accountability. There's huge flounders of of leadership on all levels. Like this is not an isolated incident in Fort Hood. Like there have been other soldiers who have gone missing. Or, for example, there was a, a young man whose remains were also found who last year went missing from out of Fort Hood, who was a soldier. And, you know, some people credit, like, the movement with Vanessa that maybe they would never have found that young man or had got tipped off because they found remains of another missing soldier. So it's not... There's a big problem. There's, there's something huge going down at, at Fort Hood, and I think that... Despite all of the tragedy, I think I'm hoping that something something good comes out of this in regards to reform and looking at programs and maybe even a third party uh, getting involved when it comes to um, you know making sexual um, harassment and um, assault like like reports. So I'll open it up to you guys uh, for a conversation. I know it's not it's it's a very grimace topic and. There's a lot of a lot of things going on in the world, but I want to have a conversation around this. And you know what what happened? Like what what do you guys think? Yeah, well, I think, all right. I think that, um, and I appreciate all of what you said there, Ashley. And I think what's the conversation that we're going to have are multiple conversations. Just mm -hmm. in this one case, we're talking about uh, we're talking about sexual harassment. We're talking about uh, a horrific murder this isn't this wasn't a fight that ended badly this was a horrific murder and yeah. uh, and one of the topics i think that if we want to make sure that someone doesn't uh in a in a story that has this much visibility and you want to make sure that that person did not suffer and die in vain i i think we have to look at the big story it's it's very easy in in headlines to look at it as an isolated incident of a person who was psychotic or whatever, it e just pure evil and and did this act. But, uh, and we had an entire show on the issues, not an entire show, but at least a segment on the issues of Fort Hood. Yeah. And uh, that I, I, I kind of believe there's a culture issue there and I don't know where, where it stems from, whether it's leadership or whatever. My friend who is uh, a squad leader at, a, a school she's in in the army right now she wrote to me yesterday and said that entire base is like a tv drama 
because it, it, I mean they've had they have mold and pests in the household. They have human trafficking um, and right. prostitution involving soldiers in and around Fort Hood. And now there's uh, there's three there's at least three remains of soldiers being found around and on that base. Something really drastic needs to happen there. Or to me, one of the perpetrators in her death, which is the culture of Fort Hood, in my opinion, is going to get a pass on this. And I, I honestly and truly believe that someone needs to go in there and and kind of revamp it. It's got to, and if you're saying, my friend who, uh, I didn't even say what she said, but she said that as a squad leader, my main goal, my main job as in that role is to make sure everyone is there that showed up right in the morning. Therefore, I know that everyone is alive. That means it's all the way down to the NCOs that were failing here. And it's not just the commanding general. It's, it's a culture that went all the way down to an NCO squad leader whose main purpose in the morning is to make sure their troops are alive. And somebody failed that. And it the, the whole thing needs to be revamped. And and to honor and to honor this soldier's death, I think that has to happen. Yeah, and I agree with both both of you, obviously, on, on those things. My only thing is that I'll defend the command to a certain extent. These the problems at Fort Hood have been around long before this commander came on. Like these are long-standing issues. And they have replaced the commanders at Fort Hood repeatedly. Um, so it goes obviously deeper than that. It, with regards to the murder here, you know, the family is justifiably sort of lashing out at everyone. And I totally get that. It's an emotional response. But, you know, they they were saying, you know, she was sexually harassed and we've talked to the military and they haven't found the guy. The problem is, is as, as you noted, Ashley, they were two separate things. And the sexual harassment allegations when they came out and she didn't report them. And that to me is where, and that's not on her. I'm saying that's on the culture, the culture. If the culture is that she felt uncomfortable reporting it, that's where the problem comes in from my point of view. But the initial reports we got was that it was a sergeant and someone in her chain of command. Well, the soldier that ended up apparently murdering her and then killed himself was not a sergeant. He was a specialist. And he was not in her chain of command. He was in her unit, but not in the chain of command. So I don't think, you know, I don't want to go whole hog going after the command. Like, why didn't they find this guy earlier? Well, they may have been going in a different direction, looking for people in her chain of command. With all that said, I don't know how she could be killed on base horrifically and then taken off base. Like, how do you get a body off the base? Like, I... I I don't know how that works. I mean, apparently it's here. as easy as putting in her, putting her in a box, putting her in your your POV, your personal vehicle, and just driving off base. Right, but one would That's, think it's crazy. I mean, she to was me. apparently murdered at the same place that they thought all along at the armory, where she disappeared mm -hmm. from, and they didn't find anything. Like maybe I'm just growing up in the yeah. CSI world where they, you know, put on special binoculars and they see stuff. But it's like this guy doesn't strike me as a criminal mastermind. I don't know how. I don't know how all this went down and. I'm kind of eager to see it. I'm not ready to throw the chain of command under the bus quite yet, but obviously the culture needs to change. If Absolutely. It's just... well, well, Mark, if uh, how do you change a culture? 
So that's the, that's what I don't know. It, like it's you know it's the same culture that we've talked about, and I think it's changing for the good. Is that you know back when I was in in like the 2000 to 2005 time frame, it really wasn't something you could do to go and say you needed mental health counseling or something. As an infantryman, you just that wasn't what you did. And I think that culture has changed. There's a lot of high profile like Medal of Honor types, and everybody else is saying, look, if you need help, go and get help. I think that culture is coming along. And obviously the, the sexual harassment, all these other types of scenarios, that culture needs to shift too. I don't know how you do it overnight. Like if you start making mandatory briefings and everything else, the only thing that generally does from my point of view is puts people's backs up. Like, oh, you're trying to force this stuff. I don't know how you change a culture. I, I don't. Like I, I don't have the answers. I don't know. But it obviously needs to happen sooner rather than later. If I could, when okay. I when I was, uh, so I was an inline squad leader and I had also held the role of team leader. So I was an NCO sergeant. And um, as we spoke before, like as a squad leader, your job is to take care of those that are, are within your, your squad, right? So that could be anywhere from like five, 12 people, depending on your unit. And then you have team leaders, right? And it is... As a team leader, like moving into that squad leader role, there isn't a whole lot of additional training, like outside of going to a school, right? So, you, so you wait, you go to your school, you go to, uh, I think it's warrior leadership course or basic leadership course now, and then you go to advanced leadership course. And typically, what ends up happening is a lot of folks in between their E five and their E six, they have to wait to go to these schools, and then they're cleared to then become leaders. And it's just this weird kind of like lying in the sand we're like okay you've gone to the school like you're qualified to lead and i think that there's like this assumption as you grow up that you're you're getting all of the nurture and like from surrounding leadership so in my own experiences i would find that you know unfortunately i was you know x y and z to other leaders because they didn't want to be held accountable and accountability was always the key so as a squad leader Right. If I'm in charge of 12 people, my job is to make sure that they're training, they're well, like, you know, checking in with them. And it's my job to train the team leader to know how to do that role or how to be in that role and take care of, say, there are two or three soldiers assigned to them and hold them mm -hmm. accountable. So even at that base level, I believe just in my own experiences, it, it comes down to the individual unit culture where I was in some units where that was, you know, proper military courtesies, we're doing this, this, and that, this is how it's rocking and rolling. And then I was in other units where it was like, eh, we're going to do what we want today. Or uh, it was really deterring for me because I would see other NCOs that they just didn't care. And then nobody checked them at the higher level. So you had platoon sergeants, platoon leaders, people who were like, eh. So what ends up happening is this isn't, these lower enlisted see that as the appropriate behavior and then they start mirroring that behavior. So when they come into a position of leadership because the rest of the leadership is like, eh, bye, sorry, you know, they're not training them to know what right looks like. And, and that comes back to lead by example. Go ahead, Jeff. That's what my issue with that base is, is I, I think that it's, 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 um, it's a tragic example of this is how we do things. Yeah. And no matter who shows up, uh, they kind of fall into that, and kind of another another thing I kind of pulled from what you're saying is there's 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 two elements of the leadership 
uh, issue in, in how you've described it. And one is one is competence. So there are, so that comes with training, right? Mm -hmm. But the other, the, the other, the glaring piece that's missing is character. Every great leader I had, I don't, I don't know their credentials. They don't tell me their credentials. I don't look up their credentials. I don't care what school they went to. If they display character, people follow them. Absolutely. And it, it seems as though character is being, character isn't, because it's hard to measure. You can't put it in a service record book. Um, and we're devaluing character and overvaluing. Why should a character-driven person who is waiting for a school and who apparently people follow and your immediate leadership should be able to recognize that and put them in that billet until mm -hmm. they can get to that school. I know, I, I mean, I did billets above I, my pay grade. Um, I was an example of that. It, to exactly what you described, I was very fortunate to have an opportunity. I was an inline, I was an inline uh, squad leader, was a first squad leader. And then when we had an absentee of our platoon sergeant. So I held a role. So I was an E5 doing a sixes job waiting for a school. And then I was assisting and splitting platoon sergeant duties with another E6. So like you just, yeah, I mean, it can happen, but I that's, don't think it happens often enough. Now that's exactly what happened with me too. And that was because we were deployed. Um, and you know, you can't go to school, obviously, when you're deployed. So when I went to Bosnia, I got my five. But it was like and I got the five, but it was predicated on going to PLDC, which is now the Warriors Leadership Course. Mm -hmm. But when I went to that PLDC, like I don't want to put those people down, but they were taking units from all walks of life and putting them through the same PLDC and people are not in the same place like an infantry sergeant who's been deployed to bosnia for the past year going to pldc is a lot different than the you know civil affairs reserve guy who still had all of his equipment and the plastic Packages. that came in it was like uh, there were a few things when i submitted gear i was like well never use this never right. use that yeah <laughs> you know it is what it is mm -hmm. All right, let us. So, in light of before we leave that story real yeah. quick, um, I do want I, again. I worry about things that get lost, so I've worried about character being lost to um, credentials, and now I, I don't want I don't want uh, this murdered soldier to get lost. But I do think everything that we've talked about since we re because th that story is well known. That, that's not news to anybody. We're not uncovering anything groundbreaking. Um, and then we, but I think that to honor her, to honor her, we do need to talk about everything that we've talked about since we, since Ashley brought up this story today. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We are going to take a quick commercial break here to pay the news and we'll be right back with you. Did you know that you could cut a five pointed star in one snip? Betsy Ross did. Learn her secret and many other things you might not know about Old Glory in the American Legion's bookazine, Indivisible, the story of our flag. Available at legion.org forward slash emblem sales. All right, moving on to rapid fire. We're going to start with the uh, South Korea monster beach party that went down uh, this past weekend. 
Officials from U.S. Forces Korea have ex expressed regrets to the local community for, quote, disruptive behavior, unquote, by American troops at a beach party in Busan, July 4th. United States Forces Korea is aware of disruptive behavior and poor conduct reports this weekend in Busan, according to a USFK media release. We regret the inconvenience and disruption this behavior caused to the people of Busan. So apparently they were shooting fireworks at civilians and generally causing mayhem. But what really bothered me is, uh, it just really stood out to me, was the allegation that there was, quote, heavy drinking. That that's the definition of fake news. Do, do not tell me that U.S. soldiers on the 4th of July at a beach party in Busan were drinking heavily. Refuse to believe it. Jeff, what do you think? I'm going to need a definition of heavily if I was in that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that is that is that is a scenario when you're shooting fireworks at, at people, you know, you kind of want to be in control, right? So you can just barely miss them. Uh, the next great Hollywood spring break movie, I can see it now. It's going to be Spring Break Busan. Yeah. And I will be in the theaters and I'll be waiting in line to watch that. It's good. <laughs> what? I mean, come on. Of course they were going crazy. Like, I, I don't know who would think differently. Like, I don't know why you would think that you could just have a beach party in a foreign country, like within any close proximity to any other civilians like you gotta segregate that beach some way like you just cannot have u.s troops on the fourth of july standing next to the the family from seoul that just went there for the weekend what do you what do you think ashley i just think it's like it's like that beach was just like a culture clash it was like right when people were just like oh american like and i was just i can't even i'm just imagining the shenanigans yeah, just, yeah. I mean, am I shocked? No. <laughs> am I? No. I, not even a little Celebrating America's this... independence in Korea on the beach. People are I like, do what, what I want. Yeah, I, I do what I want, even I'm in your country. <laughs> like That's like the epitome of, like, American stereotype. Yeah, yeah. Bad, bad American writ large. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Way to go. Shout out to you guys with the second ID. Good job there. All right. Uh, moving on to a story in military.com. Uh, can military retirees be court-martialed? The case of a retired sailor who was court-martialed after leaving the Navy has reached the military's highest appeals court, potentially setting the stage for a U.S. Supreme Court battle on the matter. Stephen Bagani, a retired Navy chief petty officer who was court-martialed after being picked up by federal agents about a month after leaving active duty, has taken his case to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces. Now, that is one court. Everyone's heard about the First Circuit, Ninth Circuit, and everything. This is the circuit, basically, for the Armed Forces cases. Um, Jeff, what do you think about this? Do you think that if you've retired from the military, you should still be subject to UCMJ? Uh, I, I don't, I don't know whether I should or shouldn't. Um, I, I, I would say that if you're done, you're done and you're now civilian and, and under civilian penal code. But I also know that I do know that I, I think I read if you retire before 30, so you get to the 20 year mark, um, you're in a different status and can be recalled right. against your will actually in extreme circumstances. And, uh, in that case, you are under UCMJ. If you get to 30, you're done. They don't want you back. 
because they think you know you're you're NFL old at that time. So right. you you just you're you're free of the UCMJ, and in the gray area, I think is with this person. I believe it was either reservist or guard or something. And there's a gray area about how the UCMJ applies to them when they get out, which is why this is in court. And I would think the application uh, might end up being the same. Whereas if you didn't get all the way to 30, you're going to still be subject to the UCMJ. Um, but then again, it's a court of law and the, the smartest lawyer wins. And if it's not explicitly written, the other side could say it's not explicitly written and reservists are a different status when they're yeah. serving and they're going to be a different status when they retire. So I, I, I just think I got it has no to be code writing like that just has to be clear and cut and dry because even in, you know, in the articles I'm reading, it's saying, you know, those same rules don't apply to retire reservists. And that's why this, you know, they're considering the case unconstitutional. It's interesting yeah, stuff. I, I'm not comfortable. I, I would be OK if the crime itself had something to do with the military service. What was the what was uh, the crime? You know, what did he do? It was sexual assault of a oh, minor, geez. I believe. It was it was like, I mean, it was a horrific crime. So that's why I didn't even want to go there because I don't want to defend the guy on the grounds that he mm. didn't do the crime. But I'm wildly uncomfortable with bringing people back on. And you're right, between that 20 and 30, you know, then you have to live for your 10 years sort of with one foot in and one foot out. I, I hope they come up with a set rule that's the same rule for everybody. I'm just not wildly comfortable. One of the cases that I've heard and is a, a, a young lady who was getting out of the military and she was on terminal leave. And, you know, she had checked out. Like, you know, when you go on terminal leave, you turn in all your TA-50 or whatever you guys call it in the Marine Corps, all your gear. And so you're basically released. You're on terminal leave. Well, she got called back in for a drug test and failed it. And because of that, they the military didn't let her out immediately. They kept her on to figure out what they were going to do with her. And this created a problem because she was getting out on a medical disability and VA started paying it. So there was a whole issue there. But in the end, they just let her go, which is good. But it's like, that's another one. Like, if you commit a crime while you're technically a crime because i think it was legal where she where she failed the drug test but you know I, i'm just not wildly comfortable with the military dictating once you're out you know i think once you get the dd214 that should be literally your freedom papers like you're gone you're you know you're out but i don't know, like you said it's going to be the smartest lawyer wins and i i am not that uh, i am not that guy so we'll see Yes, you are. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I, was, I was trolling for some uh, <laughs> fishing for compliments. Yeah, there right. we go. Uh, Maybe your beard will grow longer. Like your I head know. won't get bigger. Your beard will grow longer. Like yeah, well, tingleonitis. You can uh, be like. See, it, oh my God, nerd guys, stuff. Nerd. <laughs> are you going to say you don't like King Leonidas? Come on, man. I've got a bronze statue of him in my man cave. Of course yes. you do. <laughs> I, I do. I have him on one side of my TV, and I got Alexander the Great on the other. Wait, so, wait, 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 wait. Where's Tom Brady? Uh, he's on the wall. Okay. For for those oh, who can't see, yeah, this yeah. is Athena. Yeah. Goddess. The she, things that, that is very Don't nice. Just, is she like it? It's awesome. Uh, Jeff, but to, to answer your question about Tom Brady, I have a painting of uh, that is the 
basically the painting of George Washington crossing the Delaware, only it's been replaced by Patriots players. And so it's like Belichick is standing in the boat and like Brady is manning the the oar and there's like Teddy Bruschi in it. And that is the centerpiece of my man cave is this <laughs> painting. Uh, so, that is your altar. You're like, yeah, I, all I just, of the things. A lot of times I just sit there with a, you know, a flashlight going on it. And I just sit there in the dark and ponder how blessed a life I live. And now I will. I think you're tearing up a little bit. <laughs> he is. He's getting emotional. I, I, uh, I, I hate losing Tom. Listening, but now, the that, video. now that we've got uh, <laughs> Superman coming to the Patriots, I am all set for another year. Let's do this. Uh, although Jeff keeps telling me how old uh, our quarterback is at 31 and years injured. old. And injured. And, and I should point out that uh, my, this uh, episode will be coming out on my 50th birthday. So anyone out there listening, you should be uh, hoisting a, uh, a stout, an Irish stout in my honor. <laughs> the, the greatest attorney, at least on the show right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to uh, National Guard activation in Georgia. Military Times reporting that Georgia's governor on Monday declared a state of emergency and authorized the activation of up to 1,000 National Guard troops after a weekend of violence in Atlanta left five people dead, including an eight-year-old girl. And if you haven't seen the video of the grandfather and the parents talking about it, it's horrific. But a statement from Brian Kemp, Governor Brian Kemp's office says troops will provide support at certain locations, including the Capitol and the governor's mansion, freeing up state law enforcement resources to patrol other areas. Uh, the mayor and others are criticizing the move, saying it was selfish. I, I didn't really understand why it was selfish, but Jeff, what do you got on this one? Well, actually, you know what, Ashley, let's start with you since you, uh, we don't want to, we want to torpedo uh, Ashley and I need to figure out what Jeff's going to say so I can say it before him. <laughs> you know, yeah. So I have not watched the video yet because I have been trying to do a social media hiatus because I can just not handle all of the just did not wonderful news. And I won't lie, like the whole Vanessa Gillen thing, like I resonated with that. And I was just like, I can't look on social media. Yeah. And for the same reasons of this, like this is incredibly fresh. And, you know, I recall, you know, when my husband got called up to go stand in front of Lafayette Square in regards to, um, the, you know, I would say like uh, just it's very sensitive for me. So I have not watched the I have not watched the video just for but just looking at all of this, I mean, from a from a logistic standpoint, like I understand why they called in the guard to like kind of take away and alleviate some of the other um, stressors or what would have had to have been like double duty for the like, you know, just local officers. Um, but I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily think it was like a super bad idea just with the current climate and state of things. Right. Like I just. It's unfortunate. Like, this is just sad. Like, the yeah. fact that there's just been so many fatal shootings and the fact that one of them is an eight-year-old girl who will never get to live her whole life because of just civil unrest. Like, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Jeff, what do you got? I'm, I'm trying to, again, it's, it's the trying to separate the emotion from policy. So if... The, the National Guard exists to assist in emergencies. Um, and it's not just because, I mean, the, the eight-year-old, a child, a mere child dying is, um, 
is an emotional thing, and I and I sure hope that the proponents of bringing in the guard are not exploiting that. Um, it's, but if there is an actual emergency, that is what the guard is for. So I'm not I'm not understanding the controversy here. Uh, I think that if the guard needs to be in place, if the police are being overtaxed in their duties and uh, especially now we're talking about state property needs to be protected, then uh, I think that that's fully within the jurisdiction of the of the governor to use the National Guard for those for those things. Right. And, I, and, and this this one seemed to me particularly good because the governor is calling him up to just provide support at the Capitol and the governor's mansion, freeing up those state law. Like that's just a static defense to these areas. Like you're not asking guard members to go in and break up the riots or anything else. All you're bringing them in to do is protect these buildings. Like that seems like a no brainer that you would want that. But the, I guess the the mayor thinks that this is sort of a slap in her face. But that little girl was just one of numerous shootings last week in Atlanta. And I mean, if you kind of lose control to the point where people are getting killed all over, you know, I, I didn't really understand. But again, as with everything in an election year, it's come down to politics. I don't quite, I just don't buy off on all of it. It's like, I don't see where this is a bad thing. Give the, give the police, you know, more fluidity and going to deal with other issues. That's crazy. All right. And lastly, uh, an article in Stripes, there's going to be a TV show coming up called Tough as Nails. And this story talks about Marine Corps veteran Kelly Murph Murphy credits his military training for preparing him for pretty much anything, including participation in a new reality TV show that debuts Wednesday. Murphy, 48, applied in 2019 to be Tough as Nails show to to prove to himself that he can bring it like I used to in the Marines and show myself I can get the job done, he said. The show spotlights everyday Americans who roll up their sleeves and don't think twice about working long, hard hours and getting their hands dirty in order to keep the country running, CBS Network says on its website. Jeff, what do you got on uh, Kelly Murph Murphy? A good uh, Indonesian name there. I love that name. Uh, my The the TLDR uh, yeah. response for me is, Ooh, but uh, <laughs> I also want to warn the Murph that your mind may think that your body can do more than it can do. And on your, on the first day, on the first day, you're going to, it's going to feel amazing. You're going to be, yeah, it's just been training for this my whole life. It's that wake up. <laughs> it's that wake up where your body goes. Yeah. I think you, uh, I think you bit off more than you can chew. So I, I hope that he does it. I hope that he's amazing. And I, I, I hope that he's got an EGA, somewhere on his body the whole time representing my beloved core but it, i uh, it's i don't think it's going to be super easy for him and uh, so he's going to earn every bit of reality fame all 15 minutes of it excited ashley you're going to be watching this one i'm intrigued um but unless it is it going to be streamed because that's right. how i get most of my my stuff i'm not really I can't really do commercials anymore. I opt out and pay the extra on my streaming things. But until it's streamed, then I will watch it. 
yeah, it reminds me of, also, was it Rudy the Seal back in first year of Survivor, whatever that guy's name? Was it Rudy? Oh, Rudy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. It, it, it was, uh, one thing about this um, Kelly Murph Murphy is uh, the story in Stripes had two pictures, one of which was him in his Marine Corps blues, and he uh, was a first sergeant, and he was looking like a stud, and then... There's the current Murph Murphy, who's he's got the beard like I do. And uh, yeah, he's he he adopted the look as well. So I applaud him for his uh, selection of man grooming, which is to say none. Uh, big fan of that. But Jeff, what you're talking about, and uh, it kind of resonates with me because I bought I think you guys saw on my Facebook that I bought a kayak the other day. Yes. And so I went out at 430 in the morning the next day. In a pitch dark, I'm out there. I got the kayak out onto the water. I'm just sitting back, relaxing. There's no kids screaming, nothing. And then I heard it. there was a beaver about 20 feet from me, slapped his tail. It, it scared a little pee out of me. And I paddled <laughs> that thing as fast as I could. I got back in my car and I was like, this was not the relaxing trip I had expected. And I had only been out there like two hours. And the next day, my hands were like claws because I got... I don't know how often you use your hands as a paddle, but brutal. So I, I kind of feel for Murph after day one of this. Like, I I, I, I may watch it. I don't know if it's got to be on mm. at a time when I can watch it. So if it's on after 7.30, unlikely. I guess I'll have to catch it in reruns. If you can because, binge watch, like, Revolutionary War documentaries, you can hey, find time. Well, see, I can binge them. Like, right now mm -hmm. I'm watching a BBC, what's it called, Atlantis? I don't advise it. Not great. <laughs> I've been on ancient aliens for a little bit from uh, like an anthropology standpoint. Some of the speculations are a little out there for me, but I, I do on. like old world ancient. The ancient aliens. I tried <laughs> to do it. I tried. I watched one and they were and they had found this, what was clearly like a model of a bird. And they were trying to sell me on the fact that it was, uh, airplane created by the ancients or something and that was their big hook like this was episode one like minute one and they're like look at this this is clearly an airplane and it's like no that's clearly a bird like i will a say kid. the like last couple seasons have a little bit more oomph the, really the, this yeah. is how you're going to describe this, <laughs> this show i'm going to describe it a little bit more. This show has, this uh, show a little has bit a, more <laughs> time traveling. Uh, yeah, it, I, it, I have other produ words for producer Holly is going with time traveling aliens. Time -traveling aliens. I, I just saw it pop up, but I, listen, it sounds like crazy. <laughs> I enjoy it from like an anthropology standpoint and looking at ancient cultures, and it's just how some of the technological developments and the study of like how we've curated and maintained our culture and like how some civilizations don't have it others do but then how there's like similarities across the globe where you would anticipate there would be no interactions like i, I find that very interesting I, from an anthropologist that's what you're getting, that's I, what you're I, getting I agree and, and about aliens ashley i think we need to sit here and discuss this for at least 40 more minutes just to watch <laughs> jeff's eyes pop out of his head because he i know he's about to like, fall asleep what is like, wrong why? with you people? you guys have taken a ridiculous show about aliens and now <laughs> ashley's ashley's using from an anthropological standpoint, <laughs> no, there's, there's none of that exists. It's pure nerd television, and it's pure, it's pure speculative nonsense. Your words hurt. Nonsense. Your words hurt. Yeah, Gosh. all right. 
Jeff, let's go to the shout outs and we'll start with you because you're shouting already. So yeah. here we go. I'm going to shout out somebody who was in her right mind and body. Her name was Angela Madsen. She was a three-time Paralympian and Marine Corps veteran who aimed to be the first person with paraplegia and the oldest woman to row the Pacific Ocean, not just row it, row it by herself. Unfortunately, she had some uh, equipment failure and had to go into the water and uh for they don't know what happened yet, but she did not survive. Uh, she is a lot of firsts. Um, so, like I said, she's the first rower with paraplegia to do this, the first openly gay athlete to do this, and at 60 years old, the oldest woman to do this. Well, again, and she was one, trying to row from California to Hawaii. To Hawaii. To row. Yeah. That's crazy. It's and and you're you're two hours in the kayak right yeah well i mean in in my defense there are no beavers in the ocean so that's your that is that is your defense that is my defense is, again <laughs> again why i'm not a practicing attorney all right your shout out ashley ancient alien guy <laughs> No. So um, I wanted to give a shout out. Um, this month is Americans with Disability Act uh, Awareness Month or ADA Awareness Month, if you will. So I wanted to give a shout out to all of the veterans uh, service organizations um, to include Legion who have programs and support individuals with um, disabilities, whether it's Families who have children with disabilities who or veterans who have sustained, you know, some sort of disability through service, um, all of the programs out there that help support cognition, motor performance, vision, hearing, speech, behavior, housing, all of the above. I wanted to just give a shout out and just raise awareness that um, this month is the 30 year anniversary of the signing uh, from I believe it was signed by. President Ronald Reagan in 1987, me no good with math, so double check me on that. So I just wanted to give a shout out and remind everyone to, you know, be aware. Be aware that it's uh, ADA Awareness Month. There you go. Uh, all right, mine, If I don't know if you, if you guys are watching on uh, YouTube, whatever, you can see a copy of the book The Outpost here by Jake Tapper. Uh, the movie has now come out and I got a chance to watch it the other day and I want to do a shout out to everyone involved in making the film and in particular to the guys who fought at the Battle of Cop Keating, um, including the two Medal of Honor recipients, Ty Carter and Clint Romache. Um, I am actually, I have the book because I'm actually mentioned the acknowledgements. I didn't do much, mind you, but I, I, I did talk to, uh, I did talk to Jake Tapper and, uh, I have been lucky enough to spend quite a bit of time with Clint Romache. Uh, we have played golf before and just talked about different things. And he uh, he had me up to his home in North Dakota. Just a wonderful guy. If you guys get a chance to see uh, The Outpost, spectacular movie. Um, and if you don't know the background on the American Legion involvement in it, when The Outpost, Cop Keating, uh, was abandoned, we blew it up uh, as we were leaving. The whole place was on fire, and all the, the entire unit had all their equipment and personal stuff destroyed. And it was like my third or fourth week working at the National Headquarters in Indianapolis. And I started a fundraiser, which got a lot of eyes on it pretty quickly. I believe like uh, Bill O'Reilly found it and publicized it a little bit. So... 
my fundraiser that I had planned for these guys, and they had said, how much do you think you can raise? And I said, I have no idea. And then about two weeks later, I had $250,000 in stuff. And also uh, Target Corporation was matching it. So at the end of it, I had like four pallets of computers and Xboxes and everything. So the American Legion played a pretty crucial role in uh, raising money for the guys at Combat Outpost Keating. So if you get a chance to go see the movie, I will say that the guy, uh, Scott Eastwood, plays Clint Romache and nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. Like, even before they introduced him as a character, I knew that was Clint. Looked just like him. So it was a great job. All right, folks, that's it from the Legion HQ today. Uh, Stay safe, stay home, stay happy. Legion on. Go Cam Newton. And I will see you guys (laughs) in uh, two weeks. Bye. Bye. Peace out. Boop.